series entitled Regift. Everybody say Regift. Hey, are you glad to be here today? Now say Regift like you're happy about it. Regift. All right, there you go. Regifting is is something that we do when we get a gift from somebody that uh, we either couldn't use or we just didn't like. Can't believe they gave us this gift. Anybody ever got a gift that uh, you thought, well, thank you very much. You were so thoughtful. And what we do with something that we either don't use or won't use or couldn't use or we don't like is we have one of three choices. We can throw it away, which would be terrible. So the next thing we can do is we can store it away in the drawer or in the garage or under the bed and never really use it. Or we could give it away to somebody who could use it. And uh, sometimes when we give away a gift, we, um, if we re-gift, if we end up doing that, which, by the way, one in three people have said that they have re-gifted at some time in their life. So if we do that, we usually try to do it undercover because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We would hate for people to know that what they gave to us, we turned around and gave it to somebody else for, most, for the most part. But it's interesting because I think God is actually the complete opposite. That he loves to give you a gift. And he gives you a gift to enjoy. To fully embrace for yourself. That he wants you to... James said, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. So he wants to give you something to enjoy. Paul said that God gives us all things richly to enjoy. But here's the catch. I think the Lord would be more hurt if you didn't give away what he gave to you. I don't think he's going to be offended at all. In fact, I think that's the plan. That the things that he gives to us are not just for our own personal satisfaction, And uh, just something that we can have for ourselves and accrue all this blessing from God and just kind of sit on our blessings and enjoy our blessings. But God says, no, I want to give you great things because I want to give great things through you to people who need what I've given you. And so we're going to be talking about this and we have a a theme verse. In fact, you can see it on the words under re-gift. Jesus said these words, freely You have received, freely give. That's the way God works it. I give to you, I'm giving all things to you, and I want you to turn around and give away what I give to you. And and here's here's the deal, you don't do without when you do it. You don't lose anything, but you gain everything. And so, today we're going to be talking about re-gifting the love of God. As we set out on this uh, Christmas series, we're going to talk about the love of God and giving away the love that we have received from God. I want to read a a couple of scriptures to kind of get us going here today, and I want to read. Some of these are very famous. The first one is John 3.16. We could probably all quote it by heart. It says, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him 
should not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave the gift of the Son of His love. Paul said in Romans 5, 5, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. So God gave His Son, and in His Son... He gave us His love in the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 13, 34, and 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all, uh, by this, <laughs> sorry, by all this, you will know that uh, they will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. I'm going to learn how to read at some point today. So these are just a few of the scriptures that God has given to us to say, I've given you the gift of my love, and I want you to re-gift it. I want you to be a re-gifter. Amen. So Father, we want to thank you for your word here today. Lord, and I, I'm just reminded of what Jeremiah said. Your words were found, and I did eat them. And they became the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. And so I pray today, God, that we would partake of your word today. That it would get on the inside of us. That we would take it in, and that it would become a part of our living and of, of our life. I pray today, in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. How many of you thank God that He loves you? Come on, how many of you thank the Lord that He loves you? These are crazy times that we live in right now. It doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of love out there. It just feels very hate-filled and antagonistic and polarized in our culture today. I mean, we're living in times when you're either on this side or you're on that side. And if you're not on the right side, well, then you're just wrong. And the thing is, is that we're, we're living in this world as Christians. And we can get sucked into this vortex of like this polarization, like where we get involved in the fight and start, and if we don't verbalize it, and oftentimes, many times, we as believers don't actually verbalize a lot. We have our way we think about it, but we kind of drift into the background because we don't want to get sucked into something that looks bad or sounds bad or feels bad, but we sure do feel it. And we can think that way and we can have this fight on the inside of us in our heart even though we may not outwardly be arguing about it or angrily disputing it but we're seething on the inside to the point where honestly it does it can affect our love and it can creep in so subtly that it happens in our heart as Jesus said. In the last days, he said, the love of many will grow cold. 
that we can know God's love, we can sing about God's love, we can memorize the scriptures about God's love, but it's one thing to know about the love of God, it's completely another thing to live the love of God. And we live in times where it feels like they all are making it really difficult for me to love. Come on, can I get a good amen out there? And these are times I really believe, and I don't want to be hyperbolic about this, but I really believe that we are living in a new kind of civil war in our nation where we're literally split down the middle practically about various ideas and opinions where there's a lot of fussing and fighting going on. And it's not just, and now we're seeing it among ourselves even, the fighting of people who are supposed to be on the same side. And the battlefields are in our news. I mean, they're not reporting the news, they're creating the news. It's in our social media where the, the rhetoric is so vicious. People, everybody's got a TikTok, everybody's got a Facebook, everybody's got a blog where they're, they're uh, disseminating their point of view loudly, proudly, and angrily. And it's just going on all around us. And if we're not careful, we can take on the attitude of the age that we live in, which is... There's not a whole lot of love there. There's just not. And this is nothing new. What we're facing today, and I want to I make this very clear. It feels new, and it's always heightened, and it's always, you feel, and sometimes it feels like it comes on in stronger, stronger at certain times than it does at other times, but this really isn't nothing new. This has been going on since the fall of man. Paul said, even the Apostle Paul said in Titus chapter 3, verse 3, he said, now this, listen to what he said. He said, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Paul said, we live in a world where there's hatred all around us. We were in that group. We were a part of that culture. We were in that society. But that's not who we are any longer. That's not what we're made of. So this isn't anything new. And it was into this broken world that God so lovingly gave the gift of His Son for mankind's redemption. Jesus was the love of God incarnate in this world. And then Jesus turns around and he says to his disciples that we are to be his love incarnate in the world. In other words, everywhere we go, we are the carriers of the love of God. We are the dispensers of the love of God. We are the ones who are sharing and showing and living out the love of God. This isn't something that we just talk about. It's something that we do. Amen. We're not here to just talk about how much God loves us. We're here to show and to demonstrate and to put into practice how much God loves us. And so he's given us his love and he says, I want you to turn around and to re-gift it. Now honestly, what the world needs now is love. God's sweet love. Amen. Can I get a good amen? So Jesus taught us. Remember what he said in John chapter 
13 verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, I want you to love. I want you to love as I loved you. That's a tall drink of water right there. How did Jesus love me? That's the same way we're to love this world. The people of this world. The people in our lives. The people that we work with. Our children who maybe have wandered away. This is how we are to love. How do we do it? Like Jesus did. So I want to talk about, these are just some simple ideas about how Jesus expressed his love to broken humanity. Here's how to love like Jesus loves. Number one, to love like Jesus, we must accept people where they are. Love accepts people. Love accepts people. (laughs) Let's just let that ruminate. Of all people on planet earth, Christians should be the most accepting of all people. Why? Because we know better than anyone else how God has accepted us. And we know that He knows everything, even the stuff we hide from other people. Amen. If anybody's going to accept anybody, we're supposed to be the most accepting because God accepted us. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. The New Living Translation says it this way, I will never reject them the one who comes to me i will never reject them paul said in ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 that god made us accepted in the beloved in jesus god accepts us right where we are but sadly many of us don't realize God's acceptance of us, and we tend to live in shame. One of the reasons why we don't have a good, why we're not real good about accepting others, because we don't understand how God has accepted us right where we are, and so we live in shame, and then that turns into legalism, and then that turns into judgmentalism. Because we are hard on ourselves, we are hard on other people. Because we expect more out of ourselves than we expect more out of other people. And we don't express the love of God and we're holding people. It's like you got to, listen, you've got to kind of change for me to love you. You got to get things, you got to get your act together and stop doing this and stop saying that and stop treating uh, my, my children this way or whatever and, you know, put, Fill in the blank, and we, we hold people accountable to their actions rather than accepting them. Right where they're at. Amen. Are we okay out there? See, somehow we feel that if I accept them right where they are, then I'm approving of their lifestyle. 
No, that's not. You're not approving. You're not necessarily approving of their lifestyle because you accept them. That's not approving of them. Jesus, I love how Jesus dealt with people. If you notice, if you'll read the scriptures, how did he deal with people? There were two separate times where Jesus said to somebody, sin no more, right? He said that to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, and the man wasn't even brought to Jesus, but he, but he, still, he still talked to her, And then he said that to the man who was broken down at the pool of Bethesda. He said to them, both of them, he said, sin no more. But you know when he said that? After he had embraced them and loved them and gave them time and healed them and restored them. Then he brought correction to them. Then he helped them to get to the next phase in their life. But it was after he just accepted them right where they were. Amen. See, love doesn't say, you got to get your act together or else. Love says, I see who you are. I accept you right where you are. And it's out of that acceptance that we can bring the love of correction and the truth into a person's life. But we just receive them as they are. That's how Jesus did it with us. And that's how we need to do it with people around us. Can I get a good amen out there? So to love like Jesus loves means we need to accept people right where they're at. Number two, we need to value people. We must value people for who they are. Every person has infinite value to God. Every single person has infinite value to God. And let me tell you something. People aren't valuable to God because they're perfect. They're valuable because they are loved by God. That's where their value is at. It isn't that they're loved because they're lovable. Most of us are not that lovable. I'm teasing you. All of you are, of course. People are not valued because they're perfect. They're valued because God loves them. That's the important thing that we have to remember. No matter how liberal that person is, or if they voted for Trump, or if they're dysphoric in their understanding of things, or if they have a nose ring and purple hair, If they lead and live shameless lives. <laughs> Iris, I forgot about you. I, did, I wasn't even thinking of Iris. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'll, let me remove my foot here. Just <laughs> Iris, I had... <laughs> anyway... I love you, Iris. God values all people highly. Luke chapter 12. I love how Jesus was talking to his disciples. And he said, he said, what is the price of five sparrows? 
two pennies. Yet God does not forget a single one of them. God thinks about, knows intrinsically, even five sparrows that to man are worth two copper coins. And then he said, and the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. Look, you are more valuable to God than the whole flock of sparrows. I love how Jesus takes this analogy of, of, a, of a bird that doesn't seem worth much to society. And yet he says, God knows those birds and what goes on with them and where they're at and what they're going through. How much more he cares for you. How much more he knows every little detail about your life and cares about it. See, this is how Jesus loved us. And he said, I want you to love like I loved you. Love people and value them and understand their value. See, the way we need to treat people is like we know that they've been created by God and they are living, walking, talking masterpieces. No matter what they look like right now, no matter how distorted their image may appear right now, we know that they were created by God as a work of art, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. That they are a masterpiece. They may not appear to be, but underneath it, it's not what they look like right now, but it's what they are to become. That's what we see. That's how Jesus viewed every broken person rejected by people in their society. He approached them and he loved them and he visited with them and he ate with them like they mattered. And they did. They did matter. We need to understand that these folks that we are dealing with are not just works of art, but they've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, it was through the precious blood of Jesus that we have been redeemed. And Jesus died and he shed his life's blood. So we need to treat people like this is, like they're very valuable. Amen. Like one day when the disciples were walking into the temple to go and pray. They were going to go do something very spiritual. But on their way to prayer, they came across a man that they obviously walked past many times before. Uh, a cripple man, a poor beggar man. And he was laid at the beautiful gate. And it's so, the, uh, you know, it's, the irony is so clear. He's a broken down, dysfunctional person, but he's by the gate beautiful. His life was not beautiful. His experience was not beautiful. And these disciples were going on their way to prayer. And the man reached out and begged alms of them. And they stopped, the Bible said. And looked at him. And then they listened to him. And they didn't give him what he was begging for. But they gave him what he really needed. And that was Jesus. It wasn't money that was going to solve his problems. It was an encounter with the living, loving Lord, Jesus Christ. 
that was going to transform his life. So they looked, they listened, and then they lifted him up onto his feet. That's what love does. It sees the value in people that are broken down by the side of life's road. Amen. And we see them how God sees them. That's love. Amen. So to love, to, to re-gift God's love, we need to love with this idea that um, everybody is accepted and acceptable. Everybody is valuable. And number three, if we're going to love like Jesus, we must forgive all people for whatever they have done. Love, love, true love has to forgive. It's not an option. It's not up for debate. True love must forgive. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, you have to forgive me. You don't, you don't have a choice. You have to. Listen. God doesn't hold grudges. So neither should we. God doesn't go around trying to get even. If he did, you wouldn't be here. Guaranteed. Yes, I'm talking about you. God doesn't get, get even for when people wrong him. I believe in the discipline of God. I think that's a completely different thing than God in his justice paying me back for what I deserve. No, he's a merciful God. And you know good and well he is. And you know it better than anybody else in your life knows it. Amen. I love what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4, and then verse 7. It says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. It was in his love that he was going to make us holy and without blame. And then he said in verse 7, in him, that is in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the richness of his grace. Come on, church. How many of you are glad that he forgave all your sin? That's how he loved you. He forgave you all your sin, all your backbiting, all your lusting, all your adultery, all your pornographic behavior, all of your lying, all of your stealing, all of your hating, all of your envy. Name it. He forgave it. Woo, come on now. How many are glad that he's a forgiving God? Jesus loved us and forgave us with the gift of forgiveness of all of our sin. So, if we're going to love like Jesus loves, we have to forgive. I can't keep a record of wrongs. I can't do it. You've got to get rid of your little black book. Amen. You just got to throw that thing away. You got to throw it away. One time I got a letter from somebody that I held on to by my bedside for a couple of 
several months actually because I was going to give them the what for. Because the stuff they said was unscriptural. It was out of whack. And I held on to that letter. Which basically they were saying to me. That you, you don't have a future in ministry. And I had already believed that lie. Because of my own sin. But then by God's grace was able to release that lie. And to believe that God is a restoring God. But then. Johnny come lately sent me a letter (laughs) and tried to take me back again and I held on to that letter and it was by my bedside and I thought I'm going to pull this out when I need it and one day I got up and the Lord said throw the letter away essentially saying forgive it and move on Amen. You can't keep a record of wrongs and move on. It's dead weight in your soul and in your heart. You can't do it. You got to forgive. We all have to forgive. Paul said in Colossians chapter 3 verse 13. I love this, the way the NLT says it. Make allowances. Everybody say allowance. You know what allowance is? As a parent, you give money away to your children who are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. You did not clean your room. You did not sweep the garage. You did not do, well, I didn't have a garage, but sometimes they did not do what I paid them to do. Paul says, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, remember, the Lord forgave you. So, what does he say? You must. You have to. It's not optional. You've got to forgive. And don't forgive and then go back around and talk about them because then you haven't really walked in forgiveness. You said it out loud to appease your own guilt, but you found a way to bring it back in again. Amen. Nobody here has ever done that. The word allowance... Here's what the word allowance means. In the Greek language, it means to bear with. It means to bear with or put up with other people's faults. That doesn't sound very spiritual to me. I just got to put up with this. I don't have to put up with this. Kind of you do. Amen. That's an ouch, isn't it? <laughs> so, this is what love looks like. It, it accepts people where they are. We're not saying that we approve of them or their, their choices. But I accept them where they are. Knowing that they're on the road to becoming. And the, one of the ways that it's, they're going to get there is because I love them. I'm a better person today because Julie loved me through stuff, through my faults and through my failures. And so we accept them. And then once we accept them, we value the people. We 
love them by seeing their value, not their perfections, but seeing the love of God on them. That's what gives them value. And then number three, we forgive them. Love has to forgive. It's not an option. Number four, we show the love of God when we believe in people. No matter how bad it looks right now. Someone would say, well, I can forgive people, but there are some people that are so messed up that they're just being very impossible. Anybody met anybody that just seemed like they were impossible? Come on now. Don't lie. Some people are really hard to love. And it's like, would you get on with it already? Why are you slowing things down? Why are you holding why are you holding me back and so we we struggle to love people and to believe in people to believe the best in people studies show that the younger a person is when they first faced rejection the more seriously it impacts their life into their adulthood so what we're encountering in this world are a lot of wounded broken people who have experienced a lot of rejection in their life. And it's hard to love hurting broken, wounded people because hurting people hurt people. And you just want to build up a wall of protection. And... (laughs) We can't build walls. Maybe nations can build walls, but we can't. Are you with me out there? What we're experiencing is people who live under a curse. People are living under a curse of pain in their life. So how can we help to reverse the curse? Well, think of it this way. How did it work for you? How, did, how were you able to experience a turnaround in your life where you are no longer here, but you're here? How did you get from here to here? It wasn't by osmosis. It wasn't because you held on to somebody's coattail. It was because God loved you and believed in you And he didn't look at you as you were or are, but he looked at you as what he saw you to become. Think of it this way. Look at how Jesus talked to his disciples and even people who were not following him, he would say things like, if you believe, if you trust me, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be removed and it will have to do what you say and nothing will be impossible for you. Do you hear what Jesus is saying to people? I believe that if you keep your eyes on me, you will no longer be here. You're going to get here. He would say things like to Peter, who was walking on the water, then he was sinking in the water, and then Jesus picked him up, and they walked back into the boat on the water. And then he would say to Peter, why did you doubt? You 
caused yourself to fall because you doubted. I believe in you. I believe that you can get from here to here. And he loved people from one place to another place. Why? Because he believed in them that if they would keep their eyes on him, they wouldn't always be here. See, love has to believe the best for people. Amen. He did it for you, and we have to do it for others. I love it because Jesus, I feel, when I read, this, when I read the Gospels, I see Jesus as being a cheerleader for everybody. He's like trying to get them, you can do this. Remember when he said, these things you saw me do, you shall do, and greater than these? I believe in you. I believe that if you will keep your eyes on me, you're going to get where you need to go. That's love. And so like Jesus, we must not see people for who they are right here and now, but for who God has designed them to be and to become. Amen. It's kind of like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. Listen to these words. Love always protects. Would you read this out loud and together with me? It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. In the Greek language, the word always means always. Not here and there. Not when it seems applicable. No, love, 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, right? And so he says it is talking about love. Love always protects the person. Not destroys the person. Love always trusts the heart of the person. Love always hopes the best for the person. Love always perseveres and puts up with the person. Amen. That's what love does. It believes. And if we are going to love like Jesus loves, then we're going to have to believe in people no matter how bad it feels right now concerning them. We have to believe. And we have to love them through it. From this place to this place. Is everybody okay out there? Are we having a Merry Christmas so far? One, one more way that the Lord loved us that we need to love others, and that's we must serve people in true humility. Love is not just a something you say, it's something you do. Love is action. It's not just an attitude of, you know, like, oh, you know, I'm such a loving person. Okay, well, let's prove it then. Because love is action. It's living it out. And one of the ways that it's most manifest is in this idea that we serve. Here's what Jesus said about himself. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus said, the reason why I'm here 
is not to get you to be a bunch of servants to me and just kind of mindlessly go through your kind of religious activity. No, I've come to serve you and to lift you up out of your brokenness and to make you the person God originally designed you to be. And so I'm here to lay down my life so that you would have life. Abundant life. Everlasting life. And so the Lord said, I came in the love of God. God so loved the world that He gave His Son. And the reason why I came here is for you. It was for you. It was for you. Your life is not about you. Your life isn't for your own pleasure, for your own glory, for your own meaning, for your own purpose. Your life and my life is about every other life around us. Amen. And so, what am I here for? Well, I'm in the, in, after the manner of my Lord and Savior. I've not come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life for the benefit of others. Amen. So Jesus was willing to get his hands dirty one day. And he demonstrated what service looks like. He, he took on the role of a common house servant with his disciples. Took off his clothes, put on the robe, or put on the towel of a servant. Got down on the ground and washed all of his disciples' feet. One by one. He, wa- he got his hands dirty. You've got to believe that those grown men were dirty feet. And he washed their feet, not in some kind of Pentecostal fashion, like I don't know if you've ever been a part of a foot washing service, but I grew up doing that. You know, where we took off our socks and our shoes. The men went in one room and the women went in another because it would be inappropriate to wash a woman's feet. And... Uh, It wasn't that kind of foot washing. It was like, these were dirty guys with dirty feet, wearing sandals. Jesus washed their feet. And he said, now what you've seen me do for you, this is what you need to do for one another. This is what love is. This is what love looks like. You've got to get your hands dirty. Amen. That means you're going you're gonna to handle people that are not clean. But you're going to lovingly handle people. You're going to embrace people. You're going to help to cleanse people. You're going to help people to get from where they are to where God wants them to be. And it's going to be through God loving them through you and me. Amen. And so Jesus did that out of love. And so what is this kind of uh, serving kind of love looks like? Well, To serve, we need to serve, number one, we need to serve selflessly. In other words, we need to put everybody else first. Amen. Where's where's all the amens? You've got to put other people first. You've got to put other people first. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us 
and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So that word sacrifice, everybody say sacrifice. So not only must we serve selflessly, but we must serve sacrificially. Right now, I think we want to enjoy the benefits of being a Christian without the sacrifice. But there's a whole lot of sacrifice in Christianity. You have to sacrifice, you have to be willing to sacrifice your time. You have to be willing to sacrifice your talent or your capabilities or abilities. You have to be willing to sacrifice the treasure in your life. The resources that you have. Understanding that yes, they're a grace and a gift of God. But they're not just for you. They're for other people. Not for other pleasures only. You can have that. But don't forget about the people. Sacrificial. We want a Christianity Without sacrifice. But Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you better count the cost. It involves sacrifice. You're going to have to show up when you don't want to show up. You're going to have to be there when you could be somewhere else. Amen. You're going to have to love people who are unlovable. People who will walk all over you. People who will misuse you. People who will offend you. Amen. This is how Jesus loved us. He loved us selflessly. He loved us sacrificially. And then another way that we can serve is we need to serve with sincerity of heart. We need to serve. This is what love does. It has to be sincere. Here's what Paul said in Romans 12, 9 and 10. He said, don't just pretend to love others. I think... I'm really good pretender. I'm confessing to you. Everybody say, aw, Tim. I think a lot of us are good pretenders. We pretend sometimes to love people. We're not outright lying about it, but we're pretending. It looks like I love you. Or just keep it to ourselves. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Absolutely hate what is wrong. But hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take the light. Love the opportunity to honor somebody else. Delight in the opportunity to just make somebody else, give them the spotlight. Make it all about them. I love Paul, when he, if you go back, Rich, to verse 9, when he said, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Really love them. Right before Paul spoke these words in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, if you read the scriptures, it's 
verses 6 through 8, where Paul says that God has given all of us gifts. He's given everybody gifts. And in that passage, he says, if he's given you the gift of prophecy, then he said, prophesy. Like, if, he's, if God speaks a word to you, take that word that God enlightens in your heart, he maybe gave it to you to give to somebody else, and give it to them. Give them that word. If he's given you, and he says, some of you have been given the gift to give. And if God has given you the gift of giving, then give. And if he's given you the gift of encouragement, then encourage. If he's given you the gift of mercy, show mercy and compassion in the moment, right there, on the spot. Not when you show up to church on Sunday. These gifts are for every day of your life. And he says, whatever gifts God gives you, you can go look at it yourself. It's right there. He says, when God gives you a gift, it's not for you. It's for them. And then that's when he said, don't pretend to love people. Really love them. God gave you that gift to love them. Amen. You might be thinking today, well, you know, I love this gift God's given me so much, I don't want to give it away. But you have to give it away. God wants you to be a regifter. He wants you to regive. Julie, would you come? So as I said earlier, we live in very polarizing times right now. And people, it feels like the culture is saying you've got to pick a side. And it feels like we're at war. Jesus said there's really only one side. It's my side. It's the love side. What side are you on? The love side. Honestly. The side we're supposed to be on is on the side of love. So how about uh, all of us here today as Christians, do I feel like as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that my love is growing deeper? Or do I feel like it's growing colder? Sometimes I feel the chill. <laughs> I feel the chill in my heart sometimes. And I just don't want to deal with this anymore. But you know what, church? Jesus said, we're the church. We're here. The reason why we're here." Like Jesus came, the love of God incarnate, now we become the love of God incarnate through Him. It's all about love, amen? Let's all stand together. Can I have those who are going to pray come on up here and be prepared today to pray for you? If you have any needs, if you have any... Um, Issues in your life where you would like prayer about, physical, emotional, spiritual. If you'd like to give your heart to Jesus today, and or come back to the Lord, I want to invite you today to come up and let us pray with you, because we love you, and we know that God rejoices when anyone gives their heart to Jesus. The Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice 
and there is rejoicing in the presence of angels. I don't even think the angels, it's not just the angels that are rejoicing, God himself rejoices when a, when a person says, I want the Lord in my life. I want, I want to give my heart to him. And these friends of ours would be willing, love to pray with you or pray with about anything. Can we just open up our hands before the Lord and let's just posture our heart to receive his love afresh. Lord, we've talked about your love. We've sang about your love. We believe in your love, but we need more of your love. We need more love. Not that you're withholding, but sometimes, sometimes, Lord, we stop it up. We put the lid on, our, on ourselves because we just don't want to give out anymore. And Lord, you know the reasons why. Sometimes we're so hurt by what people have done or we're so untrusting because others have let us down that we are not free to love the way you love. So Lord, forgive us of that. But more importantly, I would even say Just fill us with your love today. We take the lid off. And say, Lord, fill us. And then pour us out as a love offering. Wherever we go. And help us to see that the person right in front of us may be the person you want us to love the most. Just that person right there. Right in front of us. We love you, Lord, and we want to honor you with our life. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, and everybody says, amen.